Harrison Goodale, co-founder of Sustained Music and Nature, and you are listening to Songscapes. The song you are hearing is Born in the Right Country, from our good friends River Wilds. And, fun fact, they are actually alumni of our Rishi program. For this episode, Charles Coplin caught up with band members Hallie Anderson and Alex McWalters to learn more about what they've been working on during the pandemic. What are you guys up to now? What 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 is the current state of where the band is? Where are all you guys geographically? What's up? Uh, we the three of us being me, uh, Alex, uh, Ryan, and Daniel. So the three boys are all in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, Ryan and I actually live out on a piece of property uh, just outside of Asheville. Uh, on a we sort of share a piece of land together. Um, Dan lives in town and Hallie is the outlier. She lives all the way on the West coast in Oregon. <laughs> way outlier. And have you always lived far away from these guys or are you, is this a new part of your life? Well, it's a little ironic because I'm from the Asheville area. I grew up there and met the band there and they all decided to settle down. And right as they grew roots, I decided to spring out and go, to Oregon. I met uh, my partner on tour and that drew me out to the West coast. So no, I've, I used to be in the area with them and, and I wouldn't say I abandoned them, but I made a big move. That was a big life change for the band. And now we're Got working by, bi- coastally mm-hmm. So, and, and what's up with the band? Like, what is the band? Is the band going to tour? Is the band putting out a record? What, what, what can you share? Uh, very good question. We are putting out a record soon. Of course, we don't know exactly when, um, but we made we recorded a record actually in my house in 2019, um, over the summer and fall of 2019. And obviously, this is before um, COVID-19 and all that stuff. So we had planned to put it out, I guess, in 2020 at some point. And then after all this happened, we decided to wait. So we have a record in the bank and it is finished and we are going to put it out at some point. Um, we hope in the spring of 2022. So that is a great thing that we have to look forward to in the future and <laughs> are probably going to be not probably, we are definitely going to be building a tour around the release of that record, um, sometime in the spring of 2022. So that's what we're all looking very hopefully toward as this pandemic, you know, we don't, things are changing by the day as we know now, but um, we're hoping that by the spring of 2022, we can get back to it. Got it. But we're definitely trying not to listen to that record because it was made two years ago and a person can change and grow a lot in two years. And we also don't want to be tired of it by the time we go to tour on it. So we're, are, we're trying to ignore it right now until release time pops up. But until we have to remember how to play the songs again. Yeah. Um, and then that's going to be like learning a cover song. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild experience, actually, like a really different, unique thing in so many ways. Just because the way we recorded the record to begin with was sort of a new approach for us, um, which is to say, like we tried as much as we could within the bounds of our own individual abilities to write the record on the spot, more or less. Um, which is like not to say it was improv; it wasn't improv, but it was like trying to work it out in the moment and capture 
whatever happens uh, when you're sort of working with fresh material and it's somewhat spontaneous. Um, so we did that uh, as an experiment for us, and I think it worked out. It worked out. You know, it has pros and cons as every every method does, but it's especially interesting because I, after having done that, we literally walked away from it and never came back to it. Normally you make a record like that. And then you pretty soon after you, you have the songs somewhat fresh and you start rehearsing for a tour and building those songs in a live setting. And, you know, the whole thing sort of transforms and grows and does all sorts of stuff. And this time around, we just sort of walked away from it and haven't looked back at it since. And at some point we're going to have to return to it after possibly two years or more of never uh, having played it or really listened. I mean, we listened to it when we were mixing it, of course, but uh, yeah. So it's just going to be a really interesting time to. Yeah. That's a, that's a really cool creative kind of <laughs> challenge, but it's kind of, it's kind of, I think it could in some ways uh, yield some magic in terms of the kind of reinterpretation of the energy of the band getting back together, the reacquaintance with the material and then the sharing of an audience all at once. So there could be some really cool thing and something exciting to look forward to. I wanted to ask you guys about Asheville. Um, not just because I think I'm taking a trip there in September. It's not about me, but because, um, you know, you're so identified with Asheville and I, and I have been there before, for people that are or are not familiar with it, can you talk a little bit about how it influences your sound? Not not just your words, but your sound. Like how how does Asheville seep into the music of the band? Mm. That is such a good question and such a hard question to answer. Um, I'll take. I guess I'll take it first, and then Hallie can answer too, because Hallie doesn't live out there, but she grew up there, so her relationship with Asheville is is very different, but very, uh, I would, I would guess intense. Um, but I, I feel like so much of the way that Asheville or any place influences the music and the sound or just me in general is, is both conscious and unconscious, you know, like a lot of it is just your reaction to what's around you. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, but I do feel like Asheville is a, I mean, I came there for a very particular reason. I, I grew up in Atlanta in the suburbs and I came here uh, to escape that and to be in the mountains. And as soon as I arrived here, it just felt like a very mysterious, curious, um, I don't like to use the word magical too often, but it's kind of a magical place. Um, so I don't know. I think the in the in a conscious way, in the most like realistic, practical way, it's just a place that sort of keeps my imagination um, going. It's, it keeps me curious. Um, I just find something really mysterious and alluring about the mountains, the, the random, the randomness of, of being here in terms of like the landscape and the, <laughs> the zoning in a way, like just the way that people build things in the mountains and the properties you see and the way that people live and just the, the sort of inspiration, the constant inspiration that I get from just moving around among these hills um, is really just wonderful. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I never get sick of exploring this area. Um, and then of course there's the rivers and the, and the trails and everything else themselves. So I'm always, um, I don't know, reflecting that back into the music as much as a drummer can do such a thing, but yeah. 
It seems, I feel like it's a, it's an osmosis thing. And it's like a, it's like someone asking you, well, why are you the way you are? It's like, oh, well, shoot, I don't know. Let me go back and try to like dive into my psyche and try to try to understand why I am the way I am. It's like if you're seeing trees and you're seeing these rivers and, and like the guy from down the road hands you a fiddle and you find yourself picking up the fiddle, but then there's, there's this Appalachian folk heritage that happens and you, you pick that up, but then you express it in your own way. It's like a really intangible thing, I think, where the region influences somebody's music. And I didn't really even, I wasn't even aware of it until I moved to the West Coast. And then I would play a thing or someone would refer to River Wireless as, oh, Hallie, yeah, your band is so East Coast. You guys are so Southeast or that sound is so Southeast. And I would be like, where are you getting that? How are you feeling that? And I don't think you can see it really until you step back and you're, you're somewhere else. And then you can look at someone and say, oh, they sound like that place. But I really think it's because you've just like sucked in all the the stimuli from the area. And I mean, Alex used to play in a punk band or like a, what would you call it, Alex? Yeah, a punk, pop punk band or hard emo core yeah. or something. Alex um, grew up in like suburbia Atlanta and was like slamming on the drums in his basement. Yet he moved to the mountains and we all went to Appalachian State. And I think Appalachian State had a lot to do with it. Just the area, just Boone and those waterfalls and those trails and those places somehow just like calmed well, our music you know, down. I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me even about like how Athens influenced REM or, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's just these towns, Seattle influenced Pearl Jam and Nirvana. I mean, there are just these towns that it, it's in the water, you know, it just kind of seeps in. And I think, you know, we've seen even in the last couple of years, even with, political events and the way the states differentiate themselves that has to find its way into your art and into your sound. So I, I did want to ask you guys, sometimes I wait, but you know, we, we, I ask all my guests like a favorite public land moment, like a, a moment where you're sort of in nature and you just, you're totally present and it's just never escaped your memory. It doesn't have to be in Asheville, but since we're talking about, you know, sort of the environment and the outdoors. Is there something that, that sticks out for, for you guys? Uh, I mean, there, there's literally so many, like so much of my life, especially in the past year has been um, enjoying this area. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't even know how to answer that question, except to say that, like, as I mentioned in the beginning, I live out in a piece of land sort of in the woods outside on the outskirts of Asheville in this town called Swannanoa. And it's right next to this uh, college called Warren Wilson College, which is like a work college. So all the students who go to this school also do like farm work or um, garden work or anything like that. So I'm sort of immersed right now in both the like the ability to hike and disappear into the woods or sit by a river or walk through a garden. Um, it's just, yeah, I'm so, I'm so thankful for where I live right now and like driving through the valley every day I have this amazing uh reintroduction to the beauty of this place so I don't know there's there's a million directions I can go and there's also been a lot of awesome experiences that we've had on tour outside of Asheville that are public land experiences that have just um not only made touring way more pleasant but uh just enriched our lives in in general so um but I'll just say, yeah, being out here in, in the woods of Swannanoa is 
is influencing me in ways, again, conscious and unconscious, but all positive, I think. When we first, like the first years of River Wireless, uh, we couldn't afford a hotel room and we didn't know enough people across the country to stay with our friends uh, for our first national tours. So we ended up staying at state parks, national parks. We ended up camping almost every night because we weren't doing hotels. So like combing through the tour catalog, there are some good memories of like being stranded in Winslow, Arizona at the Humalabi State Park and and like sleeping in the van in zero degree temperatures with the van running all four of us in a bed in the back or like when Alex got lost in Joshua Tree for like three hours, we were all worried about him. He went for a run and got turned around and and uh, there was like that really cold swim and the Allegheny. Is that where it was? There's, there's so uh, no, many good uh, ones. St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence. Oh, St. Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. And then like the, the hailstorm at the Grand Canyon with the, the elk that were wrecking in the middle of the night. I mean, it's really hard to comb through and pick a favorite, but I've like thinking about this, I'm going to cheat and give mine as a, my stepmom was a park ranger. So you know, my childhood was spent on public lands. I grew up, I lived on uh, the Carl Sandburg National Historic Site in Flat Rock, North Carolina. So just southeast of Asheville, I guess, southeast. Yeah. And uh, so the Carl Sandburg house is really cool. It's a museum in itself. And there's like a goat farm and a pond and a bunch of cool lands as a kid to just run amok on. But I remember being a teenager and we lived at this little house right on the edge of the Carl Sandburg property. And I no teenager should have a door to the outside on their bedroom, but I had a door to the outside <laughs> of my bedroom. <laughs> and uh, I was reading like, I can't remember. It's like maybe, uh, oh, what's that Kerouac with Jaffe? Dharma um, bums. Dharma bums. It was my first take at Dharma bums. And I got this idea that I would sneak out of my bedroom and spend the night outside by myself on the mountain. And for like a week straight at the Carl Sandburg house, I would hike up this little trail with my sleeping. I would sneak out after my parents went to bed and I took a sleeping bag and I would hike up this trail with our dog and I would sleep on this flat rock face that overlooked flat rock and overlooked the Sandburg home. It was called a, like a little glassy or little glassy trail, or it was like big, flat, little glassy rock. But I would go up there, sneak out and spend the night on the rock in my sleeping bag for like a week straight. I would sneak out and do that. And this is like, my parents would probably hate to hear this intel. But but that was one of my best memories. And it's it's a public land. And I'm definitely probably illegally on it at night. But it was like just the serenity of being up there with the dog and just looking out all by myself and feeling like I was a rebel. <laughs> I mean, maybe other teenagers were like sneaking out and going and drinking and stuff, but I uh, loved that I was, rock. I was going to say as vices go, I think, uh, I think you're fine. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk. A, go ahead. No, I mean, I'm sure there was drinking on the rock as well. Uh, but how much do you want to divulge in a podcast that your parents might later listen to? I'm not really sure. I mean, we've yeah, got tons I'm... of public land memories, but we broke a few rules, I'm sure. All right. I can see that you're you're censoring this for, for reasons, but uh, maybe we can encrypt the podcast from your parents. Uh, I want to talk to you guys about the band. Um, 
you know, the three of you guys were playing together for a while. And then Daniel, five years after you guys were playing together, joined the band, if I had that right. Why was that the game changer? He, what, what, why did that, hmm. why was that the game changer? Uh, you know, Daniel, so yeah, we were banned for, I guess, six years or something. I can't remember something like that. I think it's about six years. And, um, our original bass player left the band. And I guess the biggest, it, that, that's a very long question, a very complicated question, um, which we could talk about for the rest of the interview because Dan is such a curious person. He's a very uh, <laughs> interesting dude. Um, but the simple answer I think is that our original bass player was essentially um, a bass player. Uh, Dan is, is a bass player, but also a songwriter, a singer, a harmonist, a multi-instrumentalist. Um, so the whole dynamic of the band really changed significantly, I think, when Dan joined up, just because you've added another songwriter into the mix and somebody who's contributing on so many different levels. Um, so it, yeah, that just inevitably changes a band's dynamic. Um, and, and also, not, not only from a songwriting standpoint, so it changed the dynamic in the rhythm section, for instance. Like The way that I play with our original bass player is completely different from the way that I play with Dan. And so me as a drummer, like things just shift and we, we bounce off uh, each other in really different ways and have a completely different relationship as the rhythm section or as percussionist or however you want to look at it. But, um, and also Dan is a producer and engineer. So there's also that side of it where Dan has studio experience and is, you know, from the very beginning, he was able to contribute to um, the band in a production from a production standpoint. Um, so yeah, that's again, we can go, you could go into that and like talk about the, the, the actual dynamic of the songwriting and the band and all that stuff. But that's the, that's the flyover answer, I guess. And we tricked Dan. We kind of tricked him into joining our band. He was in another band and we didn't necessarily steal him from the other band. Uh, but we just asked him to go on a big long tour with us because we had just ha had a bass player, you know, choose a different route of life. And we thought, Oh, let's get Dan. He's pretty good. We're friends with him. We can get him to learn the songs for this tour. But if you're going to learn like 30 songs and you're going to be on the road with a band for two months, we kind of knew that the hook was setting. We sort of knew that Dan would, would like, he would stay with us. It was too good. It was too good to be true. He didn't even know it yet. I mean, we, we knew it. I remember being in the van yeah. and the three of us were like, Oh, he's in, he doesn't know it yet, but he's in the van. <laughs> And he's also up listening. <laughs> Stay with us. More from River Wireless and Charles when we come back. Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music and Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. 
Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org. Welcome back, and you are listening to Songscapes. Charles kicks off the second half of the conversation with River Wireless by exploring the subject matter of Kindness a Rebel, their full-length release from 2017. Kindness a Rebel. Um, big, big change for you guys. 2017 yes and you you guys can i quote a shift towards a more genuine expression of self can you talk about that what that quote means hmm. and that did record? we say that quote <laughs> somebody did i could check who said it but one of you said it uh go ahead ali i think we... i think Me? i mean there's yeah, there's well, I don't know. I can I can I can feel that question too, but um looking back on that comment, I don't know again, I don't know who said that, but a more genuine expression of self. I think um maybe the better way of putting that was like uh, almost a more literal expression of self for that record. Um if that makes any sense. It it was a very deliberate engagement with the moment, the political social moment that we were in. Um, we felt just almost not obligated, but like it was inevitable that, um, we were going to have to address what was happening in some way or another. So I think that was our intention was to sort of take it head on, Mm -hmm. um, and make some kind of statement without disguising it or making it metaphorical or getting to whatever with it, um, for better, for worse. You know, I think there's, there's things that are gained and lost when you take that approach, but I think that was our intention was to to be yeah genuine i think genuine is to be is always a goal no matter what record you're making um yeah for us i i hope um so i think the better word would have been literal uh and and just like straightforward in the songwriting sense like the you know it was sort of a more driving record in some ways than anything we've made before well we were still moving towards more co-writes and we were still moving towards a simpler less bells and whistles. We tried to record it all in the same place. Like the previous record, I think we recorded it in multiple areas and we added a lot of things after the fact, like post-production stuff, just just trinkets. And we tinkered with it for a while and it had a lot of layers. And I think we wanted a more straightforward, honest, like this is what we mean. We're doing it together as a group. There aren't separate. And that was our 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 change where we were trying to do that as a four piece, like a, a more cohesive four piece. I remember making conscious effort in, uh, in the studio to do that. And maybe that's where we came up with our genuine quote. Yeah. <laughs> and you true. also, you also, if I'm right about this, you recorded that album in West Texas. So here we've talked all about Asheville hmm. and yet you decide to go to Texas and record this record. And I'm curious what was behind that decision and how do you think that affected your sound? I feel like 
We've until this latest record, we've been remote recorders. We like to go. We all have lives that really pull at us that that are our loved ones and our animals and our just day-to-day routine really governs us. And for us to work well together, I think we have to separate ourselves from that and then be somewhere, the four of us. That way we really become family. We really hone in and we really can focus. So we've done, we've written, the EP was in Michigan and uh, the ski slopes was something. I don't remember what we wrote there. Um, uh, we've been at was, a cabin... Yeah. We've done a cabin in uh, Boone and a cabin down in, we, we, we try to mine our family members that have second homes, any of our family or friend that have vacation homes. Cause we don't, we, we, we mine them and try to, to uh, post up in their places for a week or two. And West Texas, we through a friend, we heard about Sonic ranch and we thought, Hey, that's a new landscape. I mean, the, as we've been talking about the landscape really influences us and, in conscious and unconscious ways. And I, th- I think we wanted to really mix up the landscape and go desert. And when we heard that this might be an opportunity, we were thinking, oh, can you imagine writing in this like hot, dry climate? And, and what would that do? And it did. I can hear it in the music, I think. I mean, we were, we were eating Mexican food three times a day. We were dodging rattlesnakes and everything was dusty and there were tons of stars at night and all of that is in kindness a rebel, whether we, you know, whether you know it or not, just mm-hmm. as a lot of Asheville, Asheville is in the next record. Uh, but being in one place, having one focus and all having the same like environmental stimuli is kind of our MO when it comes to making records. Right, Alex, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Or writing. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're just to some extent, we're dependent on that method uh, of sort of band camp um, writing retreats to, to either, you know, sometimes they're writing retreats, sometimes they're recording retreats. Um, but we always seem to do work best when we can sort of go to, go to school with each other and just live on campus, so to speak. Um, yeah. It's, Even in it's, Asheville, we had to kick, we, had, well, we didn't kick out, but Alex's partner left. We recorded in Alex's house and she stayed elsewhere while we recorded in the house. We didn't ask that ever. I don't think maybe we did. But yeah, we, we, we probably needed, did. Yeah. We, even in Asheville, we still did our little little mole in the hole thing where we honed in and, and like shut out our lives. And it was the hardest in Asheville, I think, to shut out our lives. I mean, it's like music from Big Pink again, you know, just all these these artists that have like pulled away somewhere. And that that is a good segue into my next question, which is, you know, I know you guys covered It Ain't Me, Babe. And uh, I'm curious about your musical influences beyond sort of Appalachian music and punk, which we've already talked about, but some (laughs) artists specifically that um, were influential in what you chose to do for a career Hmm. and your art. Uh, I mean, this is always such a hard question because you you always want to name them all, but um... I'll give you three. Yeah, yeah. I'll, give you three. I, I'll, I'll think. I've actually been thinking about this again recently for some reason. Um, I have this really f- wonderful memory of when I first moved to Asheville, um, which was in 2009. So it was after college, and we had just moved to the city as a band. So our goal was to go there and like be a band and try to take a stab at, you know, booking shows and becoming professional in some way or another. Um, and I just remember being so excited about coming to Asheville because we had been in Boone before that and 
for people who don't know, Boone is just a really small town in North Carolina. Been there. Been yeah. There. It's a beautiful nice. place. It is. It's very beautiful, yeah. but it's Green. much it's much smaller than Asheville. And even Asheville isn't very big, but compared to Boone, it was huge. And so I just remember we had a house uh, sort of on the south end of town, walking distance from downtown. And I used to, in the mornings, I used to get up and put my headphones on. And it was like a, I don't know, maybe in a mile and a half walk to my favorite coffee shop downtown. And so I would just walk up Biltmore Avenue, listening to, my memories of listening to Wilco, um, just like this religious um, uh, consistency. Like I just, I just was obsessed with these records for a period of time. And I just remember how much those records and especially the, the sense of the band's dynamic in some of those records, I'm thinking mostly of a ghost is born and sky blue sky. Um, I love Yankee hotel Fox Rat too, but those two records were just like the, the way you could hear the band playing together and the rhythm section and the percussion is just so great. It's just so, there's just so much depth there and so much subtlety. So I just, I just remember how much that influenced me and how much that inspired me and how I wanted to just like get home and get behind the kit and be as good as that. <laughs> uh, Glenn, is it Kachi? I know, uh, Koch, Kachi. I can never, yeah. he's such a great drummer. He's such an underrated drummer and he gives their sound so, such an, such a precise, but yet individual sound. I just think he and, he and Tweedy and John Starrott work work really well together speaking um, of people who change the dynamic of a band when they join i mean i think he joined the band yes. at the yankee hotel foxtrot era and just turned that band into something completely different yeah and that we're gonna move on from that band but that band's interesting because like when jay bennett left i thought they would go in a completely different direction so um <laughs> all right so other influence holly uh uh well my main, like, from childhood to now, favorite band that I could undoubtedly tell you would be Van Morrison. But recently, he's become a pretty big anti-vaxxer, and I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, are we allowed I, to listen to Eric Clapton and Van Morrison anymore? Are we allowed uh, to? You know, I, I, I've got mixed emotions on, 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 like, yeah, I... I, I agree still, with we, of course we I, are. Yes. Yeah. But it's yeah, I disturbing. still love music, yes. but yeah, it's hard for me to rep Van right now just because I'm just yep. feeling sensitive about the whole thing. But um Gillian Welsh has always been a mm. woman of my heart. I mean, whatever whatever she puts out always resonates with me. Her from her lyrics to the way she delivers things, uh, to Dave Rawlings you know, really unique and cool guitar playing. That has always been something that I think has just been you know, churning around inside me and, and influencing, influencing what I do. Uh, I don't think I sound anything like them, but it's, it's certainly something that uh, resonates with me. And as, and as far as the band as a whole, I mean, we share Wilco and we share the Beatles. Um, but I think African music was a really big moment for us. Just the discovery. Um, some knew it before others, but as a whole, as a full band, when we, all four of us, latched on to some like Molly and music and into Narwin and uh, we just started going down the hole of African rhythms. And uh, I think that was a big shift for us musically. I think Dan had a lot to do with that. I think Alex's drum beats started taking on new form. Ryan picked up his, his Ryan didn't really like soloing on the guitar 
until he discovered African music. And then his, it's just like opened a huge door for him and his guitar solos became something really cool that was inspired from that. And that was something his own that he could really hone in. And then I started plucking the violin more. And I think that had probably one of the bigger influences on our music as a whole. Yeah, Absolutely. it's just, it's, it's great the way influences kind of come in and you, you are sort of influenced as you get older from music that you had no exposure to when you were younger and how it just changes the whole trajectory. We, we mentioned, I think a couple anti-vaxxers. So I'm curious to you guys, I've been asking my guests this, you have any pandemic positives, anything that sort of you did over the last year that you probably wouldn't have done if Hmm. the world didn't turn completely upside down? I, I mean, I honestly, I have a lot of pandemic positives. I'm just fortunate in that way. Uh, it just happened that way. I, I like, I have started working on another book. So I'm a writer and a musician and I'm, I've had time to write in a way that I've never had maybe ever, you know, like it's the time, but it's also the sense of like, well, I don't feel bad about putting this much time into this because I really have to stay home anyway. And I, there's nothing I can do. So I might as well be creative in this way. Um, so I've had, I've had a really nice time working on the creative writing side of my life. And, uh, again, like I've had time to go for walks in the woods, um, and build a woodshed and just do things that I have always loved, but just haven't had time to do. So there's, there's, there have been lots of positives along with the negative, you know, I miss touring, but is your book fiction? It is fiction. Yes. Uh, genre. I, I guess this book is maybe what you call like historic, like literary historical fiction. Possibly. Okay. Uh, All right, cool. Yeah. Keep an eye out whenever I finish it someday. Yeah. We'll promote it. And you're pandemic positive. Oh, uh, I have always wanted to learn how to play claw hammer banjo. And I picked that up and it has been a long time since I've played an instrument that was all consuming that just, I would sit there and play the same lick for like four or five hours staring at the wall. And then I'd go, Oh wait, what time is it? I'd realize the sun was like going past the horizon and that all this time had passed. And it's just been a long time since I've had an instrument like the violin, I think was the last instrument that did that to me where I just completely lost myself in the same lick over and over and over because I was having so much fun. So I would say like very excited about claw hammer. I don't know if I'll take it any further, but it, it was like, oh, I want to see it on tour. Oh, I think it, was, it needs to come on tour. <laughs> Me too. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep practicing for that. But, but it's just for personal, it was like a personal gift, a little sweet that. And I, I bought an extremely large bird feeder that was on sale <laughs> and that has been blowing my mind. <laughs> Oh, I got this bird book and I just sit on the porch and with my binoculars and I look at the feeder and I identify the birds on it. And I always thought bird watchers were like the lamest, most boring. Like I thought that was like the most milk toast hobby, but it is awesome. <laughs> when you really have time, I get why retired people are bird watchers because when you finally have time to slow down, oh, you just get to see so much and learn so much. And and the bird calls are written out in the book, like little sonic you can look at the little sonic notes of what a bird call oh, is. Cool. It's very musical, but yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, life, life yeah. no, that's that's cool. Life is great when you like 
are wrong about something, but it's like a, 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 a an add rather than a subtract, then then, yeah. then life is. So, um, you know, I ask my guests um, if there is a go-to song, it could be your own, um, that you identify with nature, but in a positive way, because that's really what Sustain is about, the, the sort of positive reinforcement of music with nature. Um, you know, either one of you guys want to jump in, but, you know, no wrong answers here. They pair so well together. It's just like music and nature just belong together. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, that's a hard, that's a, that's so tough because it's like, oh, I'm in the desert. I want to listen to floating action. I'm in the, I'm in the North Carolina mountains. I want some Clarence Ashley on the banjo or it's nighttime. I want Jolie Holland. You know, it's like, am I flying in an airplane? I'm going to listen to some new, it's like so tough because it all goes together. But I saw that you asked that question and I wrote down the exact song that I listen to every time I'm driving and every time we're touring and we're driving in the woods, I put the same song on and it's only a minute long. And it's, uh, I had to, I have it just on, I just pull it up on my phone. So I've never actually looked at what the title is and it's called folk songs of the four seasons. And it's, it's by Ralph Vaughn Williams and it's performed by the Royal Scottish national orchestra. And I just put that on and I just stare out and envision that I'm like in this nature movie and I'm like wearing a dress and going to the edge of the cliff with a basket of blueberries or whatever. And I just put that on and just imagine a scene. And that, that one minute of music to me is like the most nature pairing music that exists out there. We're going to have to put that in the liner notes and everybody's going to go to their streaming services now and check check that out. Yeah. And poor Ralph Vaughn Williams, who certainly isn't here, is going to get a ton of streaming on Spotify. Actually, no one's going to listen to that song probably because that's... No, 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 no. I disagree. I disagree. What about you, Alex? Uh, I'll try to keep it short also, but um, (laughs) there recently, I'll just speak recently, I've been listening to a lot, I, I guess weird obscure um indian sitar music and uh japanese folk music and chinese folk music and like almost like just stuff that i don't really know much about um but it's like orchestral orchestral um chinese music that i can download before i go out in the woods and i I listen to it as i walk into the hills and it's just this really wonderful soundtrack to um the summertime like intense foliage and uh the creeks and everything so i've been sort of geeking out in a way on like weird um traditional chinese japanese and indian music river wireless a band that is unafraid to be genuine and continue to grow together as songwriters. Give them a follow on their social media, at River Wireless, so you don't miss their next release or show. The song you're listening to is Hold Me To Ya, the end result of our songwriting retreat held at Seedskiddy National Wildlife Refuge in Wyoming. Check out our YouTube channel to see the accompanying music video. Songscapes is a production of Sustain Music and Nature. If you like this program, give us a follow, write a review, and check out our website 
at sustainmusicandnature.org. Until next time, see you out on the trail. <laughs>